0: Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. What's what the poster said? See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie. Critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because no. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May third. Rated PG thirteen. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. Hey, White Sox fans, guess what? You know it's playoff time. You know something good's happening with the White Sox. When the Dugout Metrics guys show up to do a podcast, this is sweet. It's number seven. And we're playing off of today. We're going to talk about a number of things, but one thing we're going to do sort of anchoring this podcast at the very end is going to discuss. We're going to discuss an article that Luke's put out today, uh, that talks about optimizing the optimal White Sox lineup, what Tony Lewis should do for the best offensive lineup. He's got some interesting ideas, uh, based on, uh, the book, which is, uh, the book. Let's face it. Um, but we'll get to that at the end. Teaser. Stick around people. Uh, but first of all, Hey, first of all, Welcome guys. It's good to see you. I did recognize both of you right off, believe it or not. I, I didn't miss miss you.
1: Good to be back, thanks, Brett. Good to be in October. Sure. <laughs> you,
0: you, you like that every time we do these, I get to hassle you. It's pretty sweet. Uh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Listen, each one of uh, the podcasts we've been doing the last week or so, all right, probably second half of the season, let's face it, but certainly since playoffs clinched Locked in with Houston, Uh, and certainly in just uh, yesterday's podcast, the big discussion was, hey, just how you feeling? Um, 93 wins, uh, season's over. Obviously, we're all looking ahead, but just looking back on the season, uh, defining your expectations, meeting them, just how you feeling right now with just a couple days before the Sox start their second postseason in a row? I think just looking at the 93 wins, you got to be happy with that. I think down the stretch was kind of –
1: frustrating to watch just because with the whole resting guys and not really pushing every day, it was a little bit like, let's just play the guys and clinch it and then rest afterwards. Um, but I think it was nice to see him going on that little run there at the end, um, get ready for the playoffs. And, you know, yeah, I think, I think before the season, if you would said 93 wins, you would have been like, Ooh, I think Minnesota might be right on our tail or might be a little bit better than that. But um, with them pretty much locking up the division and, I don't know, July, <laughs> um, July. They didn't really, yeah. They didn't really have to push to win every day. So it's not like the, the marginal value of, of winning 96 or 97 was very, uh, was very small other than getting home field advantage over Houston, which would have been nice, but um, didn't seem like it was that important in through September. So.
2: Yeah. It was just a really weird second half, just because everything was pretty much already locked up. The worst teams in the division or the projected worst teams were actually a little bit ahead of schedule. Yeah. They were a little bit better. Um, but the the real competition at the top of the division just wasn't there. So the Sox had it. Um, we're able to rest the guys, as Luke was saying. Um, looking back on it, they really prioritized health, obviously. Um, but it would have been nice to get that home field advantage, which wasn't a guarantee over the Astros. Um, so we'll see if that comes back to bite them.
0: And prioritizing health can be tricky as well, because as much as you might want to protect guys, things still do happen. You know, the the team did run into some issues, including with Carlos Rodon, which we will address here in a second. But uh, I want to uh, wind up at least the first half of this podcast and devote some time to the dugout portion of dugout metrics. Both of you guys, college players, uh, recently retired college players, in spite of your haggard, haggard, aged uh, appearances. Uh, recent players, uh, Luke, you just finished up your your college career, Trevor, a uh, year or two ago, right? So uh, I want to, we nibbled at this, I think the last time we talked, or maybe just uh, Trevor when you're on a pa- podcast recently, um, as players, uh, we made a big deal about, hey, it would be nice to catch Houston. It's so important that the White Sox uh, have a home field advantage because they're so much better at home than on the road. Um and uh, understanding that the major league player is going to be a little bit different than, you know, the level you necessarily played out, but still very competitive. Just step us through the difference in your mind as players um, playing a big game, could be opening day, could be a playoff game uh, on the road versus at home and how you think that plays into, uh, you know, your comfort level, your ability to execute at the highest level you need to, to, to advance or to win.
1: Wait, so you mean the Sox aren't busting down to Houston and staying in the comfort Inn as like they do in D three? <laughs> yeah,
0: Tony may do that to them. You never know.
1: Yeah. And then you eat the Continental Breakfast before a, a really important game. Uh so hey, yeah, I think I think their uh their trip down there might be a little bit different than what I'm used to in terms of playing on the road, but um you know, I think it's always good to to uh be able to sleep in your bed, your own bed, especially uh, the night before, not have to deal with hotels and stuff um, just in general, general, but um, I guess it's kind of hard for me to relate on their accommodations on the road versus what ours were. But, um, but yeah, in general, like you always want to be at home, especially with this White Sox crowd, you'd, you'd like to be playing in front of them the first two games, but um, now all you got to do is focus on at least getting one game in Houston and then um, coming back for the Sunday night game and, um, where I don't know what's going to happen, but I'm pretty sure it's going to be something cool.
0: So, uh, Luke, that was the that was the most polite way anyone's ever told me that was a really dumb question. But that said, I'm going to plow ahead. And Trevor, <laughs> you know, give me your thoughts as well. Uh, you know, again, you know, your your own bad. I mean, some of this does apply. Okay, obviously, the travel is going to be yeah. a more challenging. But well, let's Trevor just be the D1 in. guy. So oh, Trevor's well, the D1 now. guy. So. Okay, fancy pants. Tell us <laughs> yeah. what it feels like for you. Big game, home home versus away.
2: Yeah, those uh those forty to fifty parents at uh, Knights Field <laughs> gave us a big lift. <laughs> no, <laughs> just giving you some more smack, Brett. But, um, but seriously, they um with in the in the MLB in in Major League Baseball, it's about a fifty four forty six split with two evenly matched teams as far as percentage of win probability expected, home versus away. And I think especially in an electric postseason environment like you're going to get. Uh, a big aspect of that could be just the fan engagement with the umpires um umpires can get caught up in the moment too and so i think that's big and then another aspect of it is and i think i mentioned it on um, the last podcast that we were talking on um houston isn't necessarily a cookie cutter ballpark it's a, a really quirky park there's a lot of weird angles um so maybe add a couple percentage points for that um We already discussed Aloy out there and left with those weird angles. The White Sox are a ground ball hitting team when they're going bad, and they have that short porch out in left field. Um, The Astros aren't really a great matchup for the Sox, especially in that ballpark. So it really would have been nice to get three out of the five games at home. But we'll we'll see. The the playoffs are such a crap shoot in general that anything can happen.
0: Okay, leaning even harder into this. Uh, out of my great respect for both of you as recent college players, uh, we now know the schedule, first three games, and clearly, shocker, the White Sox are not the marquee matchup because either Boston or New York are going to be playing the Rays, which is clearly not a uh, a sexy team. The first two games in Houston are going to be um, day games, whatever you first games, and then, of course, coming to Chicago for that Sunday night game. Uh, any difference there? How do you imagine that might play into um, – uh, uh, the, the fan advantage, uh, or even just the prep for the game advantage. Is there something to it being a night game where there's more buildup, uh, or is that stuff you guys just just dismiss?
1: Yeah, I think, I think it was Giolito that mentioned earlier that he felt the team was playing a little bit flatter in day games, um, just because they weren't able to kind of get in their normal game day routine where, you know, get a nice sleep in and get to, you know, batting practice, have, have lunch, and then kind of coast your way into the game. Um, where I'm sure for the day games, especially during the regular season, it's a little bit more of like a show and go type situation. You're not doing a whole lot before, Uh, but I can see why they prefer those night games. And I remember, I think it was somebody on Oakland last year when they were complaining about them being the two seed and they were, they got all, all day games. Um, So we definitely saw that last year, but it was, um, you definitely prefer, I think the night games and you want to be in, you want to be in the primetime games too, but, Um, yeah, I wasn't surprised to see them get shafted and I'm actually kind of surprised they did get one night game. So that's, that's good. I wonder if, I wonder if the Sox lobbied at all with the league, like, Hey, we got this blackout game scheduled and, if it's a three, if it's a two or three o'clock start, it kind of defeats the purpose. So you got to give us at least something.
0: Yeah. And you figure Chicago market, not to say that a home game is going to get necessarily more viewership, but there may be some numbers that indicate that too. So, you know, you got a huge market for that home game. Houston's is a big market too. Maybe they just don't, they're not pulling away. We know the white Sox uh, win bananas with ratings this year. So that might be something the league office noted enough to say like, yeah, okay guys, black it out. It's going to be awesome. Uh, Trevor, your thoughts.
2: Yeah, I agree. I mean, FS1 cuts to a blackout at 1 one p.m. It's not the same as a nighttime, the whole stadium rocking in black. So I am super pumped that that first home game is going to be a night game. Um, I think it had a little bit to do with the Chicago Marathon, from what I heard. Um, they are going to have to compete with Sunday Night Football, Bills versus Chiefs. So that's going to be a big matchup that I know a lot of people are going to be watching as far as just sports fans in general. Um, but, you know, it, it's going to be an electric atmosphere, and uh, I really can't wait to, to witness it.
0: All right. You're just being honest, Trevor, but I I don't ever edit these, but I just may have to edit talk of the NFL. But you're right. Oh, Jesus Christ. Get just ratings-wise, right. it and is going to impact Christ. it. Jesus Christ. My God.
1: All well, I, right. I, had a Cubs, I had a Cubs fan of my mentions that when I said when I was pretty pumped on Twitter that the Sox got a primetime game, he was like, well, actually, primetime on Sunday is actually the <laughs> afternoon, so they didn't get primetime. I'm like, oh, okay. I wanted to reply and ask what time, the, if the Cubs got the primetime game. Yeah, right,
0: exactly. Time. What time is the Cubs? <laughs> oh, there's going to be a lot of those opportunities in the next yeah. few years, guys. Uh, yeah. All right, let's take a, a quick break. We're going to talk. We're going to drill down a little bit more to the actual White Sox team and strategies that could be employed in the playoffs here in the second half. Uh, stick with us. Uh, we'll be back in a minute. Hey, guess what? It is dugout metrics seven. These guys here have got to witness five White Sox playoff teams. I don't think they remember the 2000 White Sox team too well, but I do believe they were alive. These guys have had an embarrassment of riches compared to me. I've had like five in my lifetime and I'm, you know, twice their age. Anyway, let's not dwell on that. It's dugout metrics seven. I've got Luke mails and Trevor Lines back with me. And I'm thrilled. Game a little hassle to start, but I'm thrilled. Let's be honest. Let's talk quickly before we get to Luke Smale's article, which is uh, um, uh, linked in uh, this podcast post. Uh, You've probably already read it. Uh, Before we get to that, let's just address uh, quickly what to do with this pitching staff. I want to focus on a couple guys in particular. Dallas Keuchel, who seemed to get a relief audition and not pass it uh, late in the regular season. And Ronaldo Lopez, who has pitched well, had a bad game on, on Sunday in the finale. Uh, how do you work those guys in? Are those guys both locks for the postseason uh, roster? Uh, what do you guys think?
1: Yeah, I think they're going to both be on the roster. I can't see a situation where Keuchel's not there. With Keuchel, you I, I mean, I feel like you got to be like up or down eight runs mm. to throw him in. I mean, there's you just can't put him in in any you know any kind of crucial situation. Um, crucial, much like I mean, if they're down by five or up by five. I mean, you can't even, you can't even throw him in there with Ronaldo. I think him, him, especially, I think he's kind of going to be the, um, like break glass in case of emergency. If something really bad were to happen with a starter, um, I think you'd bring him in with a fair amount of confidence and maybe Kopech kind of fits in that, that group too. But, um, with Keuchel, I mean, hopefully they get out into a huge lead and then you can be like, okay, we're going to save Lance Lynn and bring in Keiko. But again, that's got to be like eight runs.
0: So, okay. Trevor, Luke has just identified the 25th and 26th man on the postseason roster, basically not being able to touch any important moments. Uh, how do you line up uh, compared to that? Because now we've just eight two roster spots where we all sort of don't want to use the guys. Uh, you have more confidence or, or do you think for sure they're going to be on the roster?
2: Yeah, I honestly probably have less confidence in that. I would, um, I'm exact same boat with Keuchel, um, only if they're way, way, way up or way down. Um, and I'm in the same boat with Reynaldo. I, I don't trust him either in a postseason matchup. If they have a big lead or they're down big, you can throw them in for mop-up duty as well. Um, but in a short five-game series, blow your guys out, ride your horses. I want to see our top four starters, including Rodon. If you're going to piggyback someone, you can piggyback Kopech. And then our guys out of the pen that I want to see are Hendricks as much as possible, Bummer, Kimbrell, Tapera, and Crochet. Anyone else than that, I don't want to see on the mound in any sort of a close game.
0: Okay, before we get to lineup optimization, uh, uh, speed round here then. Based on the fact that you've both agreed that the twenty-five and twenty-six spots are basically just, you might as well liquid paper them uh, for the impact they're going to have at least in this first round here. Um, who does that then put the most pressure on on the staff? Because those two guys are sort of like not going to be useful in the pen. Who's end up going to who's going to end up getting a harder workload? Uh, whether they can take on or not, who do you think it falls to? Based on the fact that White Sox are going to be carrying a couple guys you can't trust.
1: I mean, I think Lewis is really going to push Hendricks, I think, especially in the first two games, if they're they're up in the, I don't know, seventh, eighth. I mean,
0: because
1: I mean, if you get one game in Houston, I think you got to feel like you're in a really good spot um, heading back to Chicago. And so, I mean, the bullpen, I mean, Bummer's looked really good. I think you can throw Tapera out there with a lot of confidence. I still think, I mean, people have not been happy with Kimbrel. I still think, He's a really good option compared to what other teams can throw out there. I'm still throwing him out there with confidence. And so now you're kind of shortening the game to where, um, you know, Lynn and Giolito give me five good innings and then I'm going to turn it over. So um, I still think there's going to be a fair amount of pressure on Kimbrel, but um, I think I think he's going to come out and perform a lot better than he did in the regular season here in the playoffs.
2: Yep. I, I agree with that. Hendricks was going to be my first answer too. Ride He's a guy that wants the ball. So ride him throughout the playoffs as much as possible. And then the other guy, especially with Carlos Rodon's injury issues is going to be Michael Kopech. I think that that's the reason they've been stretching him out a little bit is to maybe piggyback off of a, a Rodon tandem start. Uh, so I think that that might be a trick up their sleeve. Um, those are the guys that I really think are going to Carry a heavy workload. And then, as far as the starting pitching, just to give a little bit of background on the way that they've matched up in granted small sample sizes with the Astros, Giolito, two games in the last three years, both complete games. So he has had their number. Uh, Lynn hasn't had quite as much success. Rodon has been really good this year against the Astros. And then um, Dylan Cease is pretty much about average, Dylan Cease type type performances against the Astros. Like I said, small sample sizes, but I really think that Giolito, you can ride him into the uh, deeper into games and Lynn is another guy that just wants the ball and I, I trust to step up in the moment. So, not quite an Aussie Gian type thing with the starters, but I think you can uh, let the starters work a little bit.
0: Yeah, there seems to be su- quite a bit of debate between uh, Lynn or Giolito. Being uh, your ace and your number one guy, I think just if, if only because of the matchup, I, I think it's G-Lito. Most people don't seem to be agreeing with me on these podcasts, but uh, that's my thought. Uh, Luke, let's uh, shift your article uh, before we get too squeezed. Um, uh, please read it if you haven't already read it, uh, everyone. Uh, really cool piece. So I guess I want to jump right to, because I'm assuming some familiarity with those who are listening. Uh, where is Tony Larusa? uh making the biggest mistake with his routine uh with his regular type of lineup practices in your eyes
1: um I think he's shifted with a couple spots but I think Abreu in the three spot and uh Tim Anderson in the in leading off I think he's like would never mess with that and I think Fox has some really good other hitters and those are two really crucial spots so I would um, and Abreu and Anderson are really good hitters. Don't get me wrong, but I think they're kind of being misutilized in those uh, those spots. I, I, like I said in the piece, I think Tim Anderson fits a lot better um, in the three spot, and I would actually move Abreu down to fifth. Um, biggest reason with Abreu is, um, and I found this really interesting in um, in the book, was that. We know that Abreu struggled with double plays this year. He leads the league with 28 uh, double plays grounded into. And the third spot sees the most double play opportunities of any um, spot in the lineup. And so he's had some problems with pull side ground balls. I think getting a little bit over anxious, especially with with runners in scoring position, maybe pressing for some RBIs and trying to get that RBI crown um, again. But um, if you move him down to fifth, you now see the second least amount of double play opportunities um, behind only the leadoff spot. So I think that's a subtle thing they could do, and then Tim Anderson, you know, doesn't like to draw walks. Um, so we got a couple guys on the on the, on the team and in, in, in this lineup that really like to draw walks. So I think we should get our on base guys um, ahead of Tim Anderson and let him um, drive in runs with all the base hits he gets.
0: Uh, and that has you placing Joan Moncada as a leadoff hitter, which is a very intriguing possibility. Before I let uh, Trevor jump in, I'm going to hit you with a similar question, Luke, and that is what's Tony doing? What has Tony this year done most right with his lineup with regard to optimization?
1: Um, I mean, I think moving, I like the move of, um, of Robert up to the two spot. I think um, the book says that the two and four spots are going to be where you want to put your best hitters um, in terms of WOBA or way to run's created and um Robert and Grandall have pretty clearly been the uh, the best two hitters so i think we've seen Grandall mostly in that four spot recently um, when everyone's been healthy so having him and and um, and Robert in the two and four spots i said i would say is pretty uh, it's pretty optimal
0: uh Trevor your take on uh the general concepts luke is describing is there something you've noticed or you wanted to see Tony doing that he hasn't been Uh, doing that you might want to see him who knows maybe unveil for the playoffs
2: I think Yohan Mancata is an interesting case because they have him in a position to drive in runs for sure right now he's going to get a lot of opportunities for that and in general he's been more of a on-base guy rather than a extra base hit slugging guy Uh, so if they could I would I would try and move him into more of a table setter role kind of like Luke was outlining I do think that Tim Anderson is locked into that leadoff spot and I don't really mind that. I know it's a little bit against the analytics, but he really is the the straw that stirs the drink per se when it comes to the White Sox lineup. And I think he really relishes that role. So I might leave him there just because that's where he's comfortable. And he really, when he, it seems when he gets on base, gets a base hit to start a game, he really ignites the team. Um, and I, if you were going to move Abreu out of the 3 hole, then I think that that would give you the flexibility to move Yoan Moncada into the 2 spot, but I really think that Abreu being in the 3 hole with Robert hitting second has really gotten Robert some better pitches to hit this year. In general, the league has an absolute an absolutely insane amount of respect for Jose Abreu out of everyone in the White Sox lineup and while the analytics might not say that he's the best hitter on the team, um, yeah. a lot of these old-school baseball guys have a lot of respect for Jose Abreu and don't want to face him. So I think that that has gotten Luis Robert, who is a aggressive free swinger. He's toned it down a little bit this year, but it's gotten him some great pitches to hit. So I think I do like that.
0: Trevor, you sort of anticipated a follow-up I was going to have for Luke, but I'll, still, I'll twist it because I, I think there is this interesting, like, straw, straw that stirs the drink aspect of Anderson, which does go against what you should be doing in a lineup, but because he is so important emotionally to the team, he really is the heartbeat. And you can just see the whole temperature of the team change when he gets that leadoff homer, when he gets on base. And in the playoffs, obviously he hit the ground running last year in Oakland, so it would be very, very uh, uh, alluring to have him remain uh, as a leadoff hitter, even if the metrics don't necessarily point him that way. What I'm going to ask, though, is – when Tim has been out, Tony has jumped Luis up to leadoff. And while that's not yo Mankata, that seems to be an instinctually decent move. Would you would you agree there with in the absence of Tim and apparently Yo-Yo not moving?
1: Yeah, I think and I think against lefties, I think I'd put Robert um in that in that leadoff spot too. Um is obviously a lot better as a left-handed hitter. Um and I think Robert's just I mean, when you have hitters like Robert, and I said this in the piece too with Grandal, I mean, you could probably put them anywhere in the lineup and they're going to be really good. So, um, you know, there's no, you know, anywhere you put them, the the opposing team's going to have to pitch to them somewhat. So, um, a lot of this too is, I called myself a lineup micromanager. Um, the lineup's really good. They have a lot of really good offensive pieces. And, um, we're talking about saving a run here or there, but I thought it was interesting now in playoff time because a run here or there could mean the difference between mm. winning a game, losing a game, winning a series, losing a series. Um, so from the team psyche standpoint, I think it'd be really weird if they showed up on Thursday and Tim Anderson was in the three spot. I think a lot of people would be like, what the heck's going on? I wish maybe they would have tried it earlier, but, um, but I, I think it's, with a really good team, it, it doesn't mean as much um, as maybe a lot of people would think.
0: Well, and then, Luke, if they lose, you know Tony in the Zoom game is going to be like, well, yeah. I read Luke Smale's piece. Yeah. What do you do? You know, yeah. I live for this stuff. Uh, okay, yeah. speaking of how series can go and how the temperature can change really quickly and it really can be just a razor-thin margin between going home in the first round and advancing on to the ALCS – I think it's time to put you guys on the spot and let's talk about what you think about the series. I'll go first because I sort of already went on record yesterday saying I did not think it was going to be a five game series. I did think the White Sox are going to win in three or four. Now, since then I've read Joe Reese's, um, Super Joe had a little super quick preview, and we don't really know how the, how the how the rotation matchups are going to be or anything like that yet, but just smashing the teams together. And that's tempered my enthusiasm a bit because I, I hadn't really realized that uh, Houston was even an average fielding team. Not sure why I didn't realize that. Uh, I know our pitching advantage is significant, but it does make me swallow a little harder and think that perhaps I've gone a little too hard on the trash cans. But I'm going to stick with – I got to stick with it, so I'm going to stick with it. Uh, how do you guys see this series uh, playing out and, you know, maybe maybe a, a key matchup or a, or a key aspect, a key guy you really need to have performed for the White Sox to advance?
2: Um, I think that – yeah, go for it, Luke. You got it. Okay.
1: Yeah, no problem. Um, I, think, I think McCullers, if he's starting game one, that's going to be a really tough matchup, I think. I was at the game that he pitched um, in Chicago the first game after the All-Star break. Um, and he's he's nasty. I mean, he's got those two breaking balls. Um, he throws a slider to righties and curveballs to lefties, so it's it's kind of hard to neutralize, um, you know, either of those, no matter what kind of platoon advantage you throw out there. But um, my, my prediction was I thought the Astros would take game one, the Sox would take games two and three, um, and then in game four the Sox would try to piece together a um, – a pitching on piece together nine innings, it wouldn't go so well, and then they bounce back
0: to Lance to win in Game Five, and they'd win it in Houston. Okay, that's yeah. so that's a narrative. That's a narrative. Yeah. Okay, match that yeah. for creativity, Trevor.
2: I like it. I like it. Like I said earlier, the way that the MLB playoffs is set up is the most amount of parity of any league. It's a it's a complete crapshoot for the most part you could take the best team in the playoffs in the Dodgers and match them up with a team that snuck in like the Cardinals. And it's still going to be about a, a 60, 40 percentage that the the Cardinals can advance in a, in a five game series. Granted, they're playing a one game uh, series, but in general, it's it's such a crapshoot that you have to go with the White Sox. I mean, that's the team that we all root for. So I'm going for the Sox and then, uh, I was looking up some splits, McCullers earlier today, the Sox hitters that have seven plus ABs against him and they all have struggled. He's a ground ball pitcher. Sox are a ground ball hitting team, not a great matchup. Um, I don't think that the Sox match up very well with the Astros, but it is such a, such a crapshoot when it comes to the playoffs that I'm going with the Sox and I'll go Sox in five as well.
1: Yeah. They don't strike out. That's what's so tough. You know, like even even the Rays, um, people talk about the Rays not necessarily being built for the postseason because, you know, strikeouts, you know, when you're facing the best pitchers in the game, every inning in the playoffs, they can build up pretty quick. I think the Astros have the lowest strikeout rate in the league and, you know, they just have experienced postseason players that, you know, you think about like Brantley and Correa and Gurriel. I mean, those guys have have been through a lot of postseason games, so no moment's going to be too big. Um, I'm sure the experience from last year is going to help the Sox, but, um, that's why I think that game, game one, there might be some, some big time jitters, I think, uh, on the White Sox side.
0: Do you, um, I think, uh, your predictions are predicated, of course, I'm, I'm more aggressive than you. So all our predictions are predicated on the White Sox taking at least one game, uh, of the first two in Houston. If the White Sox lose the first two games in Houston under whatever scenario, it, do they have – obviously they have a chance, but do they have any realistic chance of taking this series?
1: Um, I don't know because then game four – because then for game four, I think if you're down 2-1, so maybe maybe any, any game in the first three they win, I think if you're in game four and you're down 2-1, I think you think about – bouncing Lance Lynn back on three days rest or something like that, or maybe not for a full outing, but you got to get creative. And um, yeah, it's just, it's so vital to get one game in Houston. Cause then, the, I mean, then you turn, kind of flip the home home field advantage um, around, right. You get two out of three games at home and you try to, you try to grab two of those. So um, I, I think it'd be, it'd be long odds if they don't, if they're going back to Chicago, down 2-0.
2: I agree. Yeah, they need one in Houston of those first two. I'm switching my prediction to White Sox in four games. Yeah! Now you're talking! I think the Rodon and Kopech tandem uh, is going to be enough to get them the win in that game four. But I agree, if they do go down um, 2-1 and go into that game four, it'd be tempting to bring your game one starter back, which in my opinion should be Lucas Giolito.
0: And not that we're going to uh, bilk this and be like, oh no, but the promotion won't be good. But really, it take it, it's a gut punch to blackout if it's like, okay, our backs are, are against the wall in our first home game, and oh, we're all wearing black. But it's an elimination game. Not granted, you're still going to play the game, and you hope it's going to give you the advantage that gets the White Sox back in the series and cuts a two zero lead in half. But Man, the uh, uh, up 2-0 or splitting in Houston makes a big difference coming back because the momentum shift there for a game three, prime time, nighttime blacked out is going to be huge. And I know Houston's, you know, they've obviously they've got the playoff experience and they've they've <coughs> sort of won a ring, I guess. Yeah, I guess they want a ring. Um, uh, but you know, hey, that, that nobody's seen this. It's been 13 years since we've seen it. Nobody's seen this. I think it's a – I mean, we could talk about oh, what's it's going to be like to play, you know, our, our, our college players here. What's it going to be like to play on the road or home. And I took a bus and all that. Hey, listen, I don't care. You could be the – you know, you could be the Dodgers. You could be the Yankees. And that's going to be a freaky situation. And uh, split up to 0 <laughs> Forget it. I'll have to revise mid podcast uh, to a three game sweep uh, at that point. But all right, glad to see you've uh, you've joined my side, Trevor. And we'll let Luke sort of just <laughs> toe up to the line. That's cool, man. He's smiling. <laughs> all these guys, yeah. He's dug out metrics, man. It's cool. Yeah. Uh, but I think. Um, yeah.
2: I think if there's one guy that I am worried a little bit about when it comes to that jitters aspect that you mentioned, that maybe hasn't been in any of those big situations. It would be Dylan Cease. Um, he's already a guy that has a history of command issues and he's put together a great season so far. Um, but I would be a little bit nervous going into that game three in a must win situation, uh, with Dylan Cease there. Uh, I think the offense, offensively, it's not really a nerves thing. Um, they've shown last year against that in that series against the athletics that they came out hot swinging. I don't think that experience really really matters as much offensively but those pitchers and uh guys that might be young and prone to wildness could have issues
0: and we got a little more time before zoom's going to bounce us off guys so let's let's uh, uh, let's introduce a wild card topic here and that is the managers because you got me thinking about it trevor because it's like okay dusty baker's an experienced manager there are guys who are able to be rattled michael Kopeck Indicate he showed a little bit of being rattled uh, in the Field of Dreams game. I, I, Liam Hendricks did. Um, there are guys who are not either they have very little experience because the they're playing for the White Sox and there just hasn't been that much. Uh, and there are guys who who didn't even have the experience last year or is a very different scenario for them who basically might be looking at this as a first time thing. A vendor manager like Dusty Baker, uh, who has uh, you know whatever you think about him, uh, you know I happen to think he's been a pretty good manager over the years. Uh, maybe not Tony level, but uh, is probably going to try to work that uh, if possible, knowing that he's got a team that's by and large more experienced, has been there and might be able to push a few buttons because overall the team itself is probably stronger than the White Sox. Uh, How do you see the manager uh, face off working out or is it just going to be a great storyline? We can talk about two old guys and has no bearing on the series.
1: Yeah, I don't think it has a, super large bearing I think as a manager there's only so much you can do to get you know your players your young players kind of ready for this moment Um, you kind of just got to experience it a couple times to know how it's going to feel when you walk out on that field like Dylan Cease I think most of us are expecting him to get that game three start he has no idea how that's going to feel walking out in that game like there's nothing you can do to prepare for that Um, so you know all you if you're lauso or Ethan Katz, all you can do is tell him to go out there and just try to do everything he's been doing um I mean he had a pretty successful year so you just tell him to go out there and try to throw a 100 miles an hour past guys with a nasty couple nasty breaking balls that's all you can can tell them to do and you can't try to I think feed them too many things about like oh make sure you're thinking about this and thinking about that and don't get you know too nervous and you just kind of gotta let the guys play so
0: the coolest thing about all that great information you just gave us, Luke, is that you ventriloquized it because your camera froze in a great pose, by the way. Your eyes aren't <laughs> shut, your mouth's not open. Uh, but, man, it's even cooler. It is a when great pose. Wow. The, I mean, it, it's yeah, especially cool with, uh, you know, you're ventriloquizing the, all the great information. Okay, uh, Trevor, your thought on the matchup. Uh, any different insight?
2: Yeah, I agree. I don't think it's a, a huge storyline, or hopefully it doesn't become a huge storyline. Um, don't think that they're going to have a a major impact on the series. Uh, Hopefully La Russa kind of plays it by the book, but in the past he's shown that he can go with his gut in the postseason and it works out. Uh, So if he does go with his gut more than expected, hopefully he has that same luck or that same feel, I guess. Um, As far as I I just have a feeling, I have a gut feeling that the Sox are going to jump all over McCullers. His one kind of kryptonite is, um, he walks more guys than you would like out of an ace. And the Sox have had a, a very patient approach this year for the most part. They have some guys that will work a walk. And so I could see him maybe walking a couple of guys and then uh, they jump on him for a couple big hits. I, I don't know why, but I have a feeling I, they've, they've started out hot in big games throughout the last couple of years, as I mentioned on that last podcast. So I have a feeling that they might jump on him.
0: Trevor, I feel so much smarter that like you've sort of agreed with things that maybe I haven't even committed to, but that are in my head. I I just feel so much smarter right now. Thank you guys. This has been a wonderful podcast for me and my ego. Okay. We got a little more time. So extremely quick bonus round, just because we're talking about the managers, give me the percentage 0% to a hundred percent that there will be an aspect of beanball war that happens in this series because we got two red ass managers like Dusty Baker and Tony La
1: I don't think you could play beanball in the postseason. Um, I mean, and and unless, you know, unless the Sox are up two games and none and they're up like 10 nothing in game three and the crowd's into it and, you know, uh, Chicago's going crazy and I I don't know something happens before, like a, a a dirty player or something, but I, yeah, I can't really see that happening in the postseason, but, um, I don't know. I wouldn't maybe not put it past Tony, but let's just hope and pray that there's no storylines coming from the series about Tony I think that would be good. Yeah.
0: Basically, that's been the case yeah. all year. Yeah.
2: All
0: right, Trevor, yeah. is it more than 0%? Uh,
2: I'd Uh, say less than 0%. <laughs> no. I, we're analytics guys. I can't do that, but I think it's a 0% chance. I, I would be shocked if anything happened. Uh, all right. Well, I guess since we're analytics guys, we can't say 0 but Okay. Um, I'll go less than 1% chance. Hey, Maybe listen. they can
1: yell back and forth at each other like they did, what was that, in the 90s? Or oh, like that's going to
0: happen. That, that's a yeah. 100% is going to happen. Yeah. <laughs>
1: yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, I'm taking it over. I'm going to say it's more than 0%. I'm going to say it's actually somewhat significant. But we'll see. I hope not either because it's clown ball. But we'll see. They are old school and you can't take that out of them. Uh Okay. We are winding this up. Who knows? You know, the dugout metrics guys re- resurfaced. They may be back even... Again, in this series, and hopefully at least by the ALCS, because the White Sox will advance, of course. Uh, but we've got a huge action-packed week. We got a different sort of preview every day, including uh, today's, which is Luke on the optimization of the White Sox uh, lineup card. Uh, we're going to have pre-game, post-game podcasts. We got a ton of game day coverage uh, coming out of the game, previewing just more stuff. You know what to do with. You're not going to know what to do with. You're going to be like, I missed. I, I was off for one hour and I missed five new stories. Well, that's what's going to happen. And Luke and Trevor may also be participating in that coverage. But as always, everybody, thank you for listening, reading, and sometimes even watching. Luke, Trevor, let's do this again soon or, you know, if not before next year.
1: ALCS preview. Let's do it. All right. Let's go. <laughs> Thanks, Sounds guys. good. Thanks, Brett. Thanks, <laughs> Thanks y'all. Guys. Thanks.